1: We are. we are, we are, we are cultivate, 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 we are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yule Crime where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel.
0: Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. Yeah, I feel that. It's a very full moon Sunday. Yeah, it's been kind of a weird day. It's a weird day. Not anything extremely bad. It's just inconvenient. Yeah. Tiny inconveniences. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, this is week two of Spoopy October. Spoopy Halloween. And this one is a doozy. Oh, boy. So this week, we are going to be discussing the New England Vampire Panic.
0: Awesome. That sounds great.
1: You may recognize parts of it as we go into it, but if you don't, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise! Surprise! (laughs) Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2022 New England Today article by Joe Bills. 2022 Heritage Daily blog post. 2021 Newspapers.com blog post by Jenny Ashcraft. 2019 History article by Crystal Ponty. 2012 Smithsonian Magazine article by Abigail Tucker. 1896 American Anthropological Association article by George R. Stetson. The Avocado, New England Historical Society, and Wikipedia. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. So i never heard of the avocado before, but... I like it? Yeah, it's kind of like Medium, or like a oh, blog okay. posting platform. So.
0: Nice. The entire So expensive. So be. delicious. Oh my god, do you watch Bake Off? Sometimes. Quick side Most- note, uh, this week's episode, when the British people attempting to make Mexican food... One of the ladies cut the avocado in such an insane way that, like, my brain stopped. (sniffs) I couldn't handle it. I'll have to watch it. You have to watch it. Let me know. Everyone needs to watch it. If you don't have Netflix, figure it out. Find it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've seen things around the internet of people uh, people talking about it, so I'll have to check it
0: out. The pizza episode was bananas, too. I'll have to check them out. Their version of Tex-Mex was Incorrect and it's insulting and i'm not even from texas
1: <laughs> real texans are just like grabbing their pitchforks and torches yeah
0: and he was like this is a brisket and it's like no it is not <laughs> you shut your mouth you just insulted briskets everywhere <laughs> all all the pigs are like i died for nothing all the pigs died for nothing brisket is no longer sacred. Make it is just beef primarily. Anyway, the cow, cows will not stand for that type of slander, so they won't. Better figure it out.
1: Looking for more content? You can find us online at YieldCrimePodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod, and on Facebook and Instagram at YieldCrime Podcast on TikTok? Of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. So don't be confused. This isn't going to be your standard tale of vampires this week, although they will obviously play a role in the story. In the 1730s, tuberculosis had made its way from Europe to New England.
0: Ah. Tuberculosis vampires. That's sad.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And by the 1800s, when it was at its peak, it was responsible for almost a quarter of all deaths. That's not great. Mm-mm.
0: That's a lot of
1: death. Mm-hmm. The epicenter for this outbreak was the southwestern section of Rhode Island, south-central Vermont, southeast Massachusetts, and eastern Connecticut. Yeah,
0: that's where, like, a lot of the settlements were at that point, right? Mm-hmm. of the biggest parts
1: Mm -hmm. at this time tuberculosis was still fairly new and was often referred to as consumption as the afflicted would waste away the symptoms are a chronic cough often but not always bloody fever night sweats and weight loss without the aid of medicine as no one was sure at this time how it was spread in fact it's a highly contagious airborne disease Mm -hmm. it caused a global pandemic we have no idea what those are like
0: i don't know what that is i've never experienced that before no i as a millennial have not experienced any world tragedies (laughs) in my life (laughs) generational trauma it's fine it's fine
1: we're 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 good this is tuesday right yeah what (laughs) what A quote from the eighteenth century describes the illness as follows: quote, The emaciated figure strikes one with terror, the forehead covered with drops of sweat, the cheeks painted with a livid crimson, the eyes sunk, the breath offensive, quick, and laborious, and the cough so incessant as to scarce allow the wretched sufferer time to tell his complaints end quote.
0: Two. yeah. Did they really have to say that their breath stunk? Like, that's just... We it to knock them while they're down. Right. They're already dying, and they're like, God, your breath, dude. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, isn't the... Isn't it something where once you go into, like, ketosis, your breath starts yeah. to smell a certain way because you're mm-hmm. cause your body's eating itself, essentially? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and probably you're, what it was. you really
0: that's like, coughing up that bile, too. Yeah. It would just be... Toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was no yield crest. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: By the turn of the century, tuberculosis caused one in every four deaths in the eastern United States. Mm-hmm. Even today, it remains one of the deadliest infectious diseases in the world and is the cause of over a million deaths each year. Still. And that's today. Damn. In fact, between the years of 1786 and 1800, tuberculosis alone claimed two percent of New England's population. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. As people so often do when they need to understand the unknown, many New Englanders turned to superstitions and folklore to find answers as to why so many of their friends and family were dying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Their conclusion: vampires. Checks out. You know? hmm Yep. Science, magic.
0: It's all the same. Yep. It's all the same.
1: A quote from an article published by George R. Stetson has the following to say about New Englanders and their vampire superstition. Quote, In New England, the vampire superstition is unknown by its proper name. It is there believed that consumption is not a physical, but a spiritual disease, obsession, or visitation. That as long as the body of a dead consumptive relative has blood in its heart, it is proof that an occult influence steals from it for death and is at work draining the blood of the living into the heart of the dead and causing its rapid decline. End quote.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is before they would like embalm people, right? Mm-hmm. So like, yep. obviously there would still be blood in
1: the heart. Mm-hmm. Got it. Many European ethnic groups believe vampires to be the revenants of evil beings, suicide victims, witches, corpses possessed by a malevolent spirit, or a victim of a vampiric attack that in turn became a vampire. That sucks. That all sucks. Yeah. Like Literally and figuratively. Right. <laughs>
0: it's like, they're a vampire because they committed suicide. Okay. Oh, they didn't have consumption, they were a witch.
1: Yeah, they were a witch.
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> in yeah. the 18th century, Eastern Europe had its own spate of vampire sightings, which resulted in frequent exhumations and staking of potential revenants. This period in history is frequently noted as the 18th century vampire controversy. <gasps> controversy?
0: Controversy. Oh, How dare. God. Oh, no. They would have to dig up so many bodies if, like, that many people died.
1: That was in Europe, though.
0: Was there, like, a stake shortage at that point? They just, like, ran out of trees at some point?
1: They just, like, recruit everyone in the village to, like, whittle stakes. Yeah, that's, like, the job to have. They break the legs off their chairs.
0: Like, during the pandemic, the biggest need was, like, delivery drivers. Mm -hmm. During this pandemic, it was people making steaks, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whittling steaks. (laughs) Whittle faster, Jeremiah. Whittle faster. We just need it pointy enough to pierce the heart. Mm -hmm. Gross. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not everyone was quick to believe that people were rising from the dead to attack the living. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. There were some people out there that were like, hmm. This doesn't really maybe, check out.
0: Maybe science?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? What? The Connecticut Courant and Weekly Intelligencer published a letter from a Willington Town councilman named Moses Holmes in June of 1784, in which he implored its readers to use common sense and not be misled by, quote, a certain quack doctor, end quote, You encourage the families of the afflicted to dig up and burn dead relatives to stop the illness and its spread.
0: You know what's better than getting the illness? Getting human ashes in your lungs. That'll fix everything. You're right. Quack Quack be damned. Burn those relatives. And it's so hard to burn a body. Like, doesn't it have to be, like, lava level to
1: actually burn the entire body? Yeah, it has to be pretty hot. Yeah, I can't remember the exact Fahrenheit and Celsius numbers, No, it has to be pretty hot.
0: I think it's pretty great that you don't know that. I think if you did know that at the top of your head, I'd be a little concerned. Like, oh yeah, bodies burn at.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Challenge accepted. Next time you ask me, I'm going to know. I'm just going to rattle that fact off at the next party that I go to.
0: I just know that everybody gets (laughs) caught whenever they try to burn a body because it's never hot enough.
1: Yeah. Never
0: had enough. It's never had enough.
1: Superstition (laughs) was pretty common in this area. People would nail horseshoes above their doors to ward off evil, Mm -hmm. bury their shoes by the fireplace to catch the devil if he tried to climb down the chimney. Never heard of that one before.
0: That actually has triggered several hauntings and actually demonic possessions and poltergeists in some houses if you watch Discovery+. Plus nice as soon as they remove the shoes the spooks are gone so (laughs) uh, that one didn't work guys opposite effect fun fact we love these shoes putting dead baby shoes in front of how in chimneys and shit not a good look for your house the devil's like oh so i go here (laughs) i'll send 10 (laughs) greg go haunt that house (laughs) they got shoes (laughs) they got baby shoes buried
1: shoes and (laughs) carved daisy wheels into their door frames, which was a kind of colonial hex sign, I guess. Mm -hmm. So why burn people? (laughs) You know, I mean... I mean, it's a broad question. Fire works well, right? But in this instance, we're asking it for a specific reason. Legend states that the easiest and quickest way to stop a vampire was to burn its vital organs. Namely, the heart, lungs, and liver.
0: And those do burn easy, from what I hear. They're very... Oh, good. They're very flammable. They're very flammable. <laughs> They're very flammable. <laughs> Especially if the person drank a lot right before they died. <laughs> the
1: liver and just goes up in flames. <laughs> just goes up like kindling. I wonder if the vampire drank from a drunk, if that's how it would be too. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Signs of a vampire were if they appeared bloated as if full, which we now know is a result of gases building up in the body.
0: Yeah, that's like everybody, guys.
1: Yeah. When a gasp is emitted from the body as it is staked, which is again, again, common as gas is released from either the lungs or just a bloated portion of the body. Yeah. And if the heart was full of liquid blood. Which it would settle in if it stopped poking. hmm Yeah. The following are a number of cases of actual people who were affected during the vampire panic. <laughs>
0: Greg. <because> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Greg in his shoes.
1: Rachel Harris, who lived in Manchester, Vermont, passed away from tuberculosis in seventeen ninety, and was one of the earliest reported cases of vampirism in New England. Mm -hmm. Around a year after her death, her widower, Captain Isaac Burton, got remarried to Rachel's stepsister, Hulda. Gross. It wasn't long into their marriage that Hulda started to exhibit the same symptoms that had led to Rachel's death the year prior. Uh Uh-oh. Not only that, but the family was convinced that Rachel herself was to blame. Somebody projecting guilt a little much? Yeah. How dare (laughs) you marry my stepsister?
0: Somebody feeling bad that they married the husband of their dead stepsister?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. In February of 1793, over 500 residents from Manchester braved the frigid New England winter to bear witness to the removal of the liver, heart, and lungs of Rachel's exhumed corpse. Once removed, they were burnt on a blacksmith's forge And some portions of the organs were preserved to be used in medicine for Hulda. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. I know that like certain people will take like powdered beef liver and stuff as like a supplement for their bodies, but like the liver of a dead woman Mm -hmm. who's been rotting in the ground for a Mm -hmm.
1: year—I
0: think that's a pill I can't put down. I, don't think mm-hmm. I can swallow that pill.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's unclear here if it was like a tea. <laughs> no, if it was like an actual part of the organs, or if it was ashes.
0: Yeah. Either way, I'm sure she's gonna just bounce right back after
1: putting that in her body.
0: Her body's gonna go. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> this is great. Thank you so much. We're cured. I'm now ten years younger. Wow. <laughs> I can walk again. <laughs> I walked before, but
1: now I can walk a little better. I am now my sister. She has perfect, possessed my body. I have perfect eyesight. Now my name is Rachel. An early town historian noted the event as follows. Quote, Timothy Meade officiated at the altar in the sacrifice to the demon vampire, who it was believed was still sucking the blood of the then living wife of Captain Burton. It was the month of February and good slaying. End quote. Great, you know
0: this is pretty weird. very jingle bells. You know it's pretty pretty <laughs> weird to think about like how witchy all of these things are that they're doing mm-hmm. to get rid of demonic stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I th- I feel like modern day Christians now would be like, we would never do that. <laughs> yeah, that's deaf witchcraft. That is not <laughs> Jesus. Go. Hey, so while I'm just hanging out here, (laughs) let me tell you what to do if you get a vampire in the middle of winter (laughs) on another island somewhere on the world. Yep. (laughs) You gotta burn it. Yep. (laughs) Don't let it rise like me. Yeah.
1: Sorry. (laughs) Don't don't put it in a cave for three days. You won't like how it turns out. (laughs)
0: It's like one of those terrible internet ads where, like, we put the vampire body in a cave for three days. You won't <laughs> believe what happened. It became Pharaoh and <laughs> attacked everyone after the rock
1: was moved. Zombie apocalypse. And The boulder only made it angrier. It probably won't surprise you to learn that Hulda <laughs> ultimately died that September. Instead of believing that Rachel was still a vampire the people of Manchester instead believed it was more likely she was a witch. Great. Mm-hmm. Because those are the same. Yep. Yeah. They're interchangeable. Yeah.
0: One's an energy vampire. The other one's an actual vampire.
1: hmm In Cumberland, Rhode Island, Stephen Staples was granted permission to exhume the body of his 23-year-old daughter, Abigail, in February of 1796. Not long after Abigail had passed away from tuberculosis, her sister, Lavinia Chase, began to to exhibit similar symptoms. Lavinia admitted to her husband to having dreams that included a shadowy figure that sat on her chest and stole her breath. In the midst of one of her dreams, she called out her deceased sister's name. It was following this that her father, Stephen, was granted permission to exhume Abigail to conduct an experiment to try and save Lavinia's life. There is no written record of the results of the exhumation or of mm-hmm. the fate of Lavinia.
0: I'm assuming it didn't go well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to assume. They didn't
0: write the success story.
1: Yeah. There's no well, success know... story in Yield People magazine. No.
0: Could you imagine what kind of fever dreams you would have, though? Oh, man. Like you, she probably absolutely hallucinated her sister (laughs) and, like, whatever demon thing. Yeah. Especially if everybody was talking about that's what caused caused it. It's already in your head.
1: Yeah. In the 1790s, the Spaulding family of Dumerson, Vermont, had experienced more deaths than most. By that time, Lieutenant Leonard Spaulding had lost six of his 11 adult children to consumption. Oh, man. When a seventh became ill, another daughter, he did what he felt necessary to prevent more of his children from passing. He dug up the body of the last child he had buried, removed their vital organs, and had them burned. A common vampire belief of the time was that vines would grow around in between caskets buried adjacent to one another, thus connecting the family forever.
0: Hmm. I mean, that's kind of sweet if you don't on the vampire part. Yeah. Body tree. It's a family tree. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> it's a literal <laughs> it's a, family tree. It's a
0: literal family tree. That's so cute. Wow. mm
1: mm-hmm. The belief held that once all of the burials in a plot were connected, another family member would pass. As a result of this superstition, Lieutenant Spaulding had his son, Reuben, who died in 1794, buried in a grave that was separate from the rest of the family members. Ooh in a vain attempt to halt the spread of the deadly disease. So well known was the case of the Spalding family that it was even noted in the Journal of Henry David Thoreau on September 26, 1859. Quote, The savage in man is never quite eradicated. I have just read of a family in Vermont who, several of its members having died of consumption, just burned the lungs and heart and liver of the last deceased in order to prevent any more from having it, end quote.
0: Yeah. This just, this all sounds bad. Like, it all mm-hmm. sounds terrible. Especially, like, did these people really also believe that you should desecrate a body?
1: We'll get to that.
0: Okay, because that's, that's also a conflict, you know?
1: Yeah. Similar to the Spaldings, another family faced the same issue in Exeter, Rhode Island. The Tillengast family consisted of 14 children and Sarah was the first of Stuckley's children to pass from consumption. Stuckley's living children would share that Sarah would visit them in their dreams, which could easily be dismissed as a way for them to grieve the loss of their sister. That is until Stuckley had a dream of his own
0: Hmm.
1: and his retelling to his wife honor. He was in the apple orchard on their family farm, preparing for the harvest, when he heard his 19-year-old daughter, Sarah, calling to him. As he turned to her, a dark, cold wind blew leaves about him until he lost sight of her entirely. As the wind died down, she was nowhere to be seen. In her wake, half of the trees in the orchard were dead. Stuckley shared this dream with his pastor, fearing it was a bad omen. But after being assured it was nothing more than a dream, he let it go. Once the harvest passed without incident, he had all but forgotten about it. Okay. Sarah passed away in 1799, not long after the harvest season. A few weeks following her death, her youngest brother, James, aged nine, complained that he had a pain in his chest. Quote, here, where Sarah touched me, end quote. Oh, no. Not long after that, he too was dead. After James went Andrus, age 14, then Ruth, age 16. Both claimed to have been visited by their dead sister, Sarah, prior to contracting tuberculosis and dying. Good. Stuckley once again went to the reverend and was told that it wasn't an evil curse and everything would happen as God willed it. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Stuckley's oldest, Hannah, who was 26 and lived a few miles away from home with her husband, started to visit home more to help around the house. It wasn't long before she also claimed to hear Sarah in her dreams, fell ill, and passed. Next was their mother, Honor, whose 17-year-old son Ezra fell ill around the same time. After speaking with his farmhand, Jeremiah, Stuckley, with the help of another farmhand named Caleb, worked together to exhume the bodies of all the children in the family plot one by one. All of them, with the exception of Sarah, exhibited the standard stages of normal decomp. Sarah, who had been in the ground for six months, still looked like she had just been buried. Mm. Following Jeremiah's instructions, Stuckley removed Sarah's heart before covering it in oil, lighting it on fire, and burning it to ash. After this, no more of the children mentioned seeing Sarah in their dreams. Hmm. Sidney Ryder wrote in 1888 that, quote, peace then came to this afflicted family, but not, however, until a seventh victim had been demanded, End quote. Ezra, unfortunately, passed from consumption, but his mother, Honor, was able to make a full recovery. She even went on to have two more children. cheese So if you go back to his prophetic dream, he did, in fact, lose half of his children before having Mm -hmm. two more.
0: That's crazy.
1: In Woodstock, Vermont, Frederick Ransom died of consumption in 1817. According to a recounting by his then three-year-old brother, Daniel. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) So this was many years later, as he had been told by his parents. Okay,
0: I was just like, did they really interview a three-year-old? And he was like, he came into my room.
1: (laughs) And then he died.
0: And then he died. And then he came into my room after he died and said, I need your blood.
1: And I was like, that's scary. And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then I cried. Mm -hmm. So in, in a recounting to author Henry David Thoreau, his family was particularly susceptible to tuberculosis. Quote, It was said that if the heart of one of the family who died of consumption was taken out and burned, others would be free from it. And father, having some faith in the remedy, had the heart of Frederick taken out after he had been buried, and it was burned in Captain Pearson's blacksmith forge. End quote. As you may have guessed, this remedy didn't work, And it wasn't long before Daniel's mother, sister, and two more of his brothers passed away from the disease. Frederick's heart had been burnt in the town green in 1830. Meanwhile, in Foster, Rhode Island, Nancy Young passed away on April 6, 1827, at the age of 19 from consumption. Her sister Almira's health rapidly started to decline following her sister's passing. She also dreamed of her sister and told her father, Captain Levi Young, quote, She looked so bright, like an angel. End quote. Mm. The family called in the best doctors, looking for a way to cure Almira, but nothing seemed to work. After this, Levi started to doubt conventional medicine and turned to local folklore instead. He went before the town elders, and they quickly agreed that the young family was being tormented by an evil spirit.
0: That's not a fun thing you want. No. Like, yep, definitely tortured by an evil spirit. Sorry, guys. <laughs>
1: yep. The vampire had to be driven out, and Nathan Doc Lennox led the group of friends and neighbors who helped gather wood for a pyre. Which is always a great start to any story.
0: Yeah. yeah. So-
1: Levi alone exhumed the remains of his daughter, Nancy. Once her body was exhumed, he had her body burnt. Doc Lennox instructed the remainder of the young family to join hands around the fire and breathe in the smoke as it washed over them in order to break the curse.
0: That's horrifying.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but I would have a really hard time breathing you in. Mm-hmm if somebody was burning your body in front of me.
1: Yep. I'd have a yeah. real hard time. As you probably guessed, this folk cure had zero effect as Almira died soon after of consumption, and a few years after that, four more of the young children also passed away. That's None funny. of them were exhumed to break the curse. Thank God. Yeah. Apparently they learned from the last time.
0: Yeah.
1: In Jewett City, Connecticut, in 1845, Lemuel Ray passed away from consumption at the age of 24. A few years later, his father Horace Ray passed, with his brother Elijah passing soon after. Three years later, in 1848, Lem's oldest brother Henry fell ill, so his family had Lem exhumed and burnt in an effort to save him. Henry passed anyway. Hmm. A few miles from the Ray family farm, an unmarked graveyard with 29 bodies, mostly children, was discovered in 1990 in Griswold, Connecticut. Hmm. State archaeologist Nick Bellantoni discovered that one of the bodies showed signs not only of tuberculosis, but the person had been dug up and reburied with the head placed face down. Hmm. The femur bones had also been rearranged on the chest into the shape of a cross. The only clue to the poor person's identity are the initials JB inscribed on their grave marker. The Jewett City vampires exposed more and more unusual treatments for vampirism. In addition to rearranging the bones of the deceased, some villagers would remove the legs of the supposed vampire so they couldn't get out. So, they couldn't leave their grave.
0: <laughs> so, they obviously have never seen a paraplegic <laughs> or somebody who has lost limbs. Uh, you could still move <laughs> if you have. Yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, don't do that, please.
1: Yeah, please don't. <laughs> please don't. Please like don't that. just,
0: like, take legs from a corpse.
1: <laughs> yeah, please don't. Please don't do that. It's a weird, weird hobby. Please don't. I take your femur, you can't take my blood. (laughs) This is mine
0: now. This is a really messed up eye for an eye.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Ruth Ellen Rose passed away from consumption in 1874 at the age of 15. The disease took a long time to kill her, which gave her family false hope that she would recover. Hmm. Shortly after her passing, her seven-year-old sister, Rosalind, started to exhibit symptoms. Their father, William Rose, sought the guidance of the local minister, Reverend Amos Cabot. The reverend didn't believe that the disease was caused by any sort of supernatural presence. And although he tried to persuade William of this same belief, William had already made up his mind that it was the result of a vampire. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's kind of the trend.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If history has told us anything up to this point,
0: Screw your science-based faith. <laughs> it's a
1: vampire. <laughs> it's a vampire. <laughs> he had no idea where to start his search for answers. That was until he started to talk to his second wife, Mary Rose D. Griswold. Mary's former husband was Thomas Tillingast, the grandson of Stuckley Oh, If you'll remember... The Tillengas family had their own brush with the paranormal, Mm quote-unquote. Convinced that this was the route he needed to take in order to save his young daughter, he dug up the grave of Ruth Ellen in the family plot. Upon opening the coffin, he was horrified to discover that her funeral shroud was stained with blood. I mean... Like the one covering her face. Okay. But,
0: like,
1: the gas might have had blood in it. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, it's really gross.
0: Yeah. it. I mean, that is horrifying. Especially if you already believe that she's a vampire and she's got a bloody face.
1: Yeah. Not great. Not a good look. No. <laughs> not,
0: not working well for No.
1: <laughs> not off to a great start. No. Thankful that the shroud was covering the face of his daughter, he quickly cut out her heart. He claimed that after it was removed, he heard a gasp come from below the shroud then nothing. Again, gas. Yes. <laughs> Following this exhumation, Rosalind's fever left, and no other members of the Rose family fell ill from tuberculosis.
0: Okay, well, I guess he won.
1: <laughs> he won the paranormal anti-vampire lottery.
0: He won the paranormal war.
1: <laughs> I bested that vampire.
0: They were too busy with Greg.
1: They couldn't come over. Yeah. Poor Greg. One of the best documented cases of vampirism in New England is the case of Mercy Lena Brown in Exeter, Rhode Island. In 1883, her mother Mary passed from galloping consumption, which is a more aggressive strain of tuberculosis. Great. In June 1884, 20-year-old Mary Olive, the eldest daughter, also passed away. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Her obituary included the line, quote, the last few hours she lived was of great suffering. Yet her faith was firm, and she was ready for the change. End quote. Yeah, I bet. I mean, if you
0: if you had
1: that if you were suffering of pain like
0: that that yeah. much, you'd be like, "Yeah, I'm ready to meet my maker. Let's do this."
1: Yeah, I'm ready to be done.
0: <laughs> Jesus, take that wheel. <laughs> yeah.
1: Five yeah. years after Mary passed, her 24 year old brother. Edwin contracted the disease and was sent to Colorado Springs to one of the well-known spas there oh, to try and recover. He learned <laughs> a year and a half after arriving in Colorado Springs that his younger sister, Mercy Lena, had also contracted consumption. Mercy, like her mother, had contracted the galloping strain and passed away on January seventeenth, 1892. Edwin, whose own health continued to decline, Made the decision to return home to Rhode Island. By this time, their father, George, was at this point desperate to save the rest of his children. He had no real belief in the theory of vampires, but he agreed to the exhumation of his family. On the morning of March 17, 1892, George Brown allowed Dr. Harold Metcalf, who was the chief medical examiner of the district, and his staff to exhume the bodies of his late wife and two daughters at Chestnut Hill Cemetery. According to the beliefs of the villagers, a vampire would have blood in its heart. It was George Mm -hmm. and Dr. Harold's hope that by disinterring the brown women, they could quell the vampirism rumors that had taken over the town. So both of them didn't believe in vampirism. It was more, they were doing this to prove to everybody else, you dumb yeah (laughs) like
0: they were like everybody calm down
1: yeah this isn't a fix this isn't a thing yeah the group dug up the women in order of burial which meant that the mother mary was first she had been buried for nine years at this point and all that really remained of her was dust and bone obviously not a vampire yeah mary olive was next who had been in the ground for around five years now Her body had reached the mummification stage, and it was hard for George to keep his composure as he caught sight of her hair. So it's his daughter. Mm. Dr. Metcalf was unable to find any blood in her heart, and at this point he was ready to call the whole thing off.
0: Yeah, I bet. Because his patient's already traumatized.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, the townspeople of Exeter insisted that the investigation continue. Of course. Mob justice. Yep. Mercy was last to be dug up and had only been interred for three months at this point. Remember, she passed away in January, and at the time, it was a particularly cold winter in Rhode Island, with the ground being so frozen that a grave couldn't actually be dug.
0: Okay. Yeah, so she was essentially preserved for a couple of months at least.
1: For the first few months, her body had been stored in an above-ground crypt, and she'd only been in the ground for about a month. Yeah. After she was finally unearthed and her coffin opened, Mercy appeared as if she was just sleeping.
0: Oh, that's terrifying.
1: Yeah. Although her form of consumption was more aggressive, she appeared relatively healthy, with flushed cheeks, and her eyes were wide open. Oh, that's not
0: who didn't put the eyelids down when she died yeah i
1: i don't like that let's
0: do that guys let's (laughs) let's normalize shutting the eyes yeah
1: yeah please (laughs) yeah please (laughs) her appearance was all the confirmation that the people of exeter needed Even though Dr. Metcalf explained that given how cold the winter was, it would make sense that her decomposition would be so delayed. Mm -hmm. The villagers demanded that her heart, lungs, and liver be removed and burnt on a nearby slab. It was then decided that a portion of the ashes should be mixed with water and consumption medicines and given to Edwin in an effort to cure him. As a final insult, one of the townsfolk beheaded Mercy as her organs were being burnt.
0: Oh, that's awful. Mm -hmm. Especially if she looked alive. Mm -hmm. That would be so traumatic for that family.
1: The Providence Journal noted in March 21st, 1892, quote, Dr. Harold Metcalf, the medical examiner of the district, who examined the bodies, is not one to believe in the vampire superstition. He made his examination, without exceptional results, according to his own belief, but found in one of the bodies, to the satisfaction of many of the people down there, a sign which they regarded as proof. When he removed the heart and liver from Mercy's body, a quantity of blood dripped therefrom. The vampire, the attendants of the doctor said, and then conforming to the theory of the necessity of destroying the vampire, burned the heart and liver. End quote. Yeah, I mean, it, it all would have settled mm-hmm. there. So. The Brown exhumations in Rhode Island cemented Exeter as the vampire capital of America. I'm sure they loved that. Mm-hmm. The last week of March, the Patuxet Valley Gleaner published a letter to the editor written by a family friend of George Brown. He shared that even after drinking the tonic made with ashes from his sister's heart, Edwin was not improving, and shortly after the paper came out, Edwin Brown was dead.
0: Yeah, because he had consumption, mm-hmm. and they didn't medicate him; they mm-hmm. gave him poison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not minute made orange juice, guys. There's no fort- there's no fortifying
1: calcium. <laughs> no, Mercy Brown, the quote unquote last vampire of Rhode Island became highly influential in a number of modern horror fiction after her death. Examples include the character of Lucy Westerna in Bram Stoker's Dracula.
0: And oh. famous
1: horror writer H.P. Lovecraft mentioned her by name in his story, The Shunned House. And if you've ever listened to Lore by Aaron Mankey, you will probably be familiar with her case as well. Mercy's legacy isn't just as The Last Vampire. She also left a quilt that is still in the possession of Brown family descendants. It is made of pink, blue, and cream cotton with brown fabric. The quilt is likely made with sections of dresses that used to belong to her mother and sister, and it's obviously a treasured family heirloom. The pattern she used is often referred to as the Wandering Foot, and it's said that anyone who sleeps under it will be lost to their family doomed to wander after death.
0: Well, that's not terrifying at all. No. It was like really cute and sweet up to that point. Yeah. And you're like, now you're stuck with your family and can't find them forever. Great.
1: Mercy (laughs) is also said to frequent a particular bridge, leaving behind the scent of roses. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Ghost hunters claim to have picked up murmurs of her voice at her grave and it's even said that she will visit terminally ill residents to let them know that death isn't as bad as they may fear.
0: Well, that's nice. Yeah, she's like, no, it's cool. She's like, it's like okay. It. It's be okay.
1: Besides the removal of vital organs, some communities in Maine and Plymouth, Massachusetts, simply flipped suspected vampires in their grave so they couldn't rise from the dead.
0: That's hilarious. Yep. Like, the, like. The, they're turtles.
1: What? Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I can't flip.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Turtle vampires.
1: <laughs> According to folklorist and author Michael Bell, quote, the authentic image of New England's vampires would be a corpse that did not appear to have been completely de- decomposed. One that had fresh, that is liquid, blood in its heart or other vital organs. Which indicated that the corpse had been inhabited by some sort of evil, spiritual, not corporeal, that was draining the life from living family members. End quote. Michael documented over 80 vampire rituals in New England, and he continues to uncover new ones. The cases are as far back as the late 1700s, with the bulk taking place in the backwoods of New England in the 1800s. Some cases are as far west. As Minnesota.
0: Oh, great. Wow. great. wow.
1: You may wonder why there are so many cases of vampires in the tiny state of Rhode Island. As Michael Bell explains in his book, Food for the Dead, On the Trail of New England's Vampires, Rhode Island has about 260 cemeteries per 100 square miles. That's not great which were like that. yeah which were small and scattered around private farms in vermont there were 20 cemeteries per 100 square miles these were much larger and located often in the center of town compared to the rural cemeteries of rhode island it would have been much harder to conceal a supposed vampire exhumation in vermont hmm. One thing I want to point out, well, a couple things, is that the majority of the families mentioned today lived in rural areas and were yeah. farmers or worked in their small communities as dressmakers and store clerks. Mm-hmm. This doesn't change the fact that these events didn't take place during the days of the Puritans. The Industrial Revolution was in full swing, mm-hmm. and some of these rural communities weren't that far from larger cities like Newport, Rhode Island. In an ironic twist, only about 10% of them actually belonged to a church. So despite Jeez. like all their Puritan backgrounds, only a handful of these people actually believed in God. That's interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Which makes me think that, you know, that... Well, okay. So the desecration of the body and stuff is is more
1: it like wouldn't a... have bothered them as much because no they didn't That's go crazy. to church they didn't believe in god but they so... were so
0: weird about witchcraft yeah what
1: yeah what <laughs> yeah i know it was crazy when i read that i was like what the various cases of the new england vampires started to wane at the end of the 19th century which could have something to do with the fact that Robert Cook had identified the bacteria that causes tuberculosis on March 24th, 1882. Nice. Mycobacterium tuberculosis. Get it. Many folk cures throughout the 17th and 18th centuries included drinking brown sugar dissolved in water. That would be better than ash. Yeah, right. I would drink that. It wouldn't do anything, but I'd drink it. Right. You feel good, and some people were even prescribed frequent horseback rides. Nice. Peel, I don't know all why. Your
0: coughs out. I don't know why. Fresh air. Free, well, like freeing your lungs, getting all, mm-hmm. getting it all out. Maybe those poor horses. Just people like coughing all over them as they're coughing
1: went blood on them and stuff, yeah. sweating on them, making me gallop. though you're galloping <laughs> consumption. I just picture those weak people having to be like strapped down to those horses because they would just be falling off. Right. Most medical professionals at the time simply told victims and their families, quote, there's nothing we can do and it's in the hands of God, end quote, which is fair. I mean. Yeah. There wasn't a cure at the time. No. And it was highly contagious. Like there's no way. And along with that. Any sort of treatment for tuberculosis wouldn't be available until the 1940s. That's crazy. Yeah. And today it is preventable and curable with a rigorous course of antibiotics taken over the course of six months.
0: That's crazy still, though, Mm -hmm. that it takes that long to get rid of it.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's not just one antibiotic. It's like a cocktail of antibiotics. Jeez. There is a vaccine for tuberculosis known as Bacille Calmet guerin or BCG. Mm-hmm. And even though it is not widely distributed in the United States, it is very common for infants and small children in countries where tuberculosis is still a problem. Yeah. And that is the New England vampire panic. Oh, that was terrible, but very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was horrible.
0: Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I had a terrible time. Happy Halloween! <laughs> Happy Halloween!
1: Don't bury your shoes. Wear them. <laughs> if you've learned nothing from this episode.
0: <laughs> Don't bury your shoes.
1: Don't bury shoes. And drink brown sugar water, I guess.
0: It doesn't work.
1: Don't <laughs> ward drink, off TV.
0: <laughs> drink your brown sugar shake and espresso from Starbucks. This has all been an ad. <laughs> <laughs> to imagine
1: subliminal messaging?
0: Ad. It's just all an ad for Starbucks. Don't want tuberculosis? Brown sugar shaken express. <laughs> <laughs> Get one what <today>. without milk.
1: <laughs> all of a sudden, people all around the country are like, "What's with this new rush for brown sugar?" What I don't know. She starts know. flying off the shelves. Just got to start toasting your sugar. Now. Mm-hmm. I make like those. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. Three Spooked Girls. Three Spooked Girls. Hey there, I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal, or murder. Join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever the hell else you
0: listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the
1: handle at 3 Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you. The 3 Spooked guys. On that note, this week's podcast plug is Three Spooked Girls. Nice. Three Spooked Girls is created and produced by two longtime ghoul friends
0: <laughs> that
1: have an obsession for the paranormal and true crime. Each week, you can hang out with Tara and Jessica, sometimes multiple times a week, and hear about all things that go bump in the night. Cool. And we will have a link to their show in the show notes. Nice. So with that, what's something good you'd like
0: to share? One good thing. Uh, so I, I visited our parents this weekend, and they have two fairly new puppies into the fold. Winston, who they got in May in June? Yeah, it was sometime in the spring it, or yeah, the beginning was, of
1: summer, yeah.
0: Yeah, beginning of summer, I think. And his sister, a different litter same mom, I think, was like given back to the rescue and they took they took her in like a couple months ago, I think. And they've obviously had some sort of difficult time like Mm -hmm. that upbringing. Like I I get puppy meal vibes from them since they're kind of a designer breed of part Shiba Inu, part Corgi. Mm Mm-hmm. I think they were probably a couple now. But Lucy is not quick to like other people. But she decided that this weekend I was okay. So we've been best buds ever since. And Winston and I have always been cool. He was like not okay with me the first time. But I bring two big dogs that he loves to play with. So I mm-hmm. think that's what... Put me in his good graces, is I am the lady that brings his friends. Mm. <laughs> so, and Lucy was like, You are the lady that brought the two dogs I don't want in the house. In the <laughs> house. <laughs> so she had a different take on it, but now they're cool. So that was kind of a cute, Victoria's moment was having her like me. It's nice when dogs that are afraid of people trust you, it's mm. a good feeling. So. How mm-hmm. about you? What's one good thing? Hmm.
1: On Saturday, I joined a small group of my coworkers, and we spent about an hour cleaning up a section of highway that my work adopted. Oh, nice! So there wasn't a lot of trash at this point in time because they did construction on this stretch of road. Oh, yeah, so they would have collected stuff as they cleaned yeah. up their own. Yeah, so most of it, <laughs> my knees hurt, like my thighs and my knees hurt from squatting so much because I was mm-hmm. just picking up cigarette butts. Like that was the the main yeah. thing I was picking up was just cigarette butts everywhere. But it was a nice day for it. It was a small group of us. It was like six of us. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have to do, we only had to do one side because the other side was like all tore up and stuff. So there, we wouldn't have been able to walk over there anyway. But in the spring, when we do it again after all the snow melts and stuff, it sounds like we're going to have a bigger group of people doing it. So,
0: yeah, you should because winter brings trash. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: there's going to definitely be a lot more trash in the spring after the snow melts and after both Mm -hmm. sides of the street are opened again. So, yeah, but it was fun. We originally were going to go out and get pizza afterwards, but the place we were going to go to. wasn't open yet oh, no. so we went to this burger joint that my boss and i have gone to a few times that's really good they have really good tots i think that's nice to me that's the mark of a, a quality place to go if they have good tots yeah. if they know yeah. how to make tots well that's a place i will go to
0: and for our non-american listeners she's tater tots or potato pot- potato right? Cylinders, cylinders, Cylinders at that point, because they're not round. round. No, they're not spherical. Yeah,
1: Yeah. they're like little little tubes, I guess. Yeah, little solid tubes,
0: potato tubes that you fry (laughs) and put stuff on. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They're delicious. It's as if you made a hash brown stick and cut it into smaller sections. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Hashtag delicious. Hashtag Terry Tats, hashtag mm-hmm. Tats, Spoopy Tats.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Nice. How oh, good doing that About to start my day on Saturday. Nice. All right. Looking for more content? You can find us online at YieldCrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at YieldCrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. A great way to support the show if you want to help us out but can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. This week's review comes from Podchaser from user biochem 1980 Nice. Speaking of science, (laughs) speaking of science,
0: (laughs) that's that's a very good (laughs) review. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very on brand. Yeah. Their five star review says, I really enjoy this true crime podcast. The hosts are really likable and the banter is great. The focus on historical crimes creates a unique theme for the podcast. It is entertaining and informative. Great show! Exclamation point. Thanks. Thank you. you if you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation, either over on buy me a coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. Once again, I have no idea when there is a sale on our tea Public shop. I know at some point there will be this month. And speaking of Tee Public, shout out to Kate over at Tee Public. Their graphic designers helped us with a couple new designs. And then mm-hmm. she also sent us a couple shirts that we modeling. will model at some point this month and share on the socials. Mm-hmm. So you should go check those out. Awesome. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Maddie. And we'll see you next time with another tale. Isn't this kind?